Hello, everyone. Welcome to How to Read Chinese Poetry podcast. I'm Zhong Qicai, the program host. In this podcast program, my colleagues and I aim to introduce cutting-edge scholarship on Chinese poetry to a broad general audience. We will present 52 episodes covering the major poetic genres developed over China's long history. Each episode features close reading of one or more of the best-known Chinese poems, with an aim to illuminate their literary greatness and cultural significance. For all the discussed poems, Chinese texts, English translation, romanization, and brief notes are provided at our website, howtoreadchinesepoetry.com. By following the 52 episodes, listener will gain a bird's eye view of the thematic, formal, and generic evolution of Chinese poetry from antiquity to the modern era. Instruct and delight is what we wish to accomplish in each talk. Without further ado, let's begin. Today, our guest host Professor Kern will present his second episode entitled "The Fusion of Poetry and Biography." Let us welcome Professor Kern. Welcome, everyone, to my second podcast episode on Chuyuan and the Li Song. Today, I will be exploring how Chuyuan's poetry and biography flow seamlessly into each other and constitute each other in the process. How do the persona of Chuyuan and the poetry attributed to him come together? Is it even possible to read one without the other? And still have a meaningful text. Are the poetry and the biography simply two different ways of telling the same story, distributed and shared across multiple texts? Let us begin with the obvious. The Li Sao does not lend itself to a biographical reading. It mentions nothing about the historical Chuyuan. Its biographical or autobiographical reading depends entirely on external material collected from a range of other sources. The biography in the Shiji, the two short pieces in the Chuzi anthology titled Bu Ju, Divining Where to Reside, and Yu Fu, the Fisherman, that speak about Chuyen in the third person, but are nevertheless attributed to him. Other Han poems, both within and outside the anthology, and various Han Dynasty comments and entire commentaries, most fully Wang Yi's Chuzi Zhangju, the chapter and verse commentary to the Chuzi, that we have transmitted in the Song Dynasty Chuzi Bu Zhu, the supplementary annotations to the Chuzi. One cannot construct a Chuyuan persona from the Li Sao itself. In fact, nobody could have connected the poem to the person, were it not for the various external materials that relate the person to the text. 
At first glance, this may be surprising to readers of the Liso, a text replete with the first person pronoun I. No other early Chinese poem speaks in this way. Consider just the opening three stanzas of the Liso of altogether 12 lines. Distant descendant of the god Gaoyang am I. My august father's name was Bo Yung. The Shirti constellation pointed to the first month of the year. It was the cyclical day, Gengyin, when I descended. The august one surveyed me and took my original measure, rising to bestow on me auspicious names. He named me Correct Standard. He styled me Numinous Balance. Lush am I, possessed of this inner beauty, further doubled in fine appearance, shrouded in lovage and iris, weaving the autumn orchid as my girdle. These three stanzas of 12 lines present the protagonist as a mythological persona of divine ancestry. On an auspicious day, he descends into the world like a god and introduces himself in an intensely personal voice. Could this have been the voice of an individual poet? In which cultural environment does this make sense? To which audience? Did a third century BCE Chinese poet call himself a descendant of the gods? Let me offer a different reading. The I in these 12 lines, present in seven first person pronouns, is the hero staged and the hero remembered. He is impersonated in front of an audience, perhaps at Leon's court in Shouchun. The performative nature of this impersonation is linguistically marked. Remember, this inner beauty is a deictic expression that gestures at the staged persona, which the audience understood to be Chuan. In short, the Li Sao is not an autobiographic poem, but a dramatic representation of Chuan's voice. It is the poetic culmination of the Chuan story, and as such, part of the Chuan biographical lore. Chuan's biography in the Shiji is an incoherent patchwork of multiple sources that cannot even agree on the name of their protagonist. Xuyuan, who is named as the author of Huaisha, or Embracing Zen, or Chu Ping, who is named as the author of the Li Sao. The different sources do not agree whether the Li Sao was composed before or in response to its author's exile. Xuyuan and Chu Ping, neither one mentioned in the Liso, may well refer to the same historical person, but the biography does not harmonize them into one. As such, it opens a window on the rich and diverse nature of early Chuan lore and its different traditions 
of mythological narrative and poetic performance. The biography reveals that the literary material surrounding Chuyuan existed in multiple parallel versions. Thus, when we find direct textual parallels between the Li Sao and Jia Yi's Diao Chuyuan, or Mourning Chuyuan, or then again between Xi Shi, regretting the oath, also attributed to Jia Yi, and other pieces in the anthology, these are not quotations in the sense that one author cites the work of another. They are usages of shared poetic material. Consider the passage that in the Shiji biography leads to the account of the composition of the Li Sao. Chu Ping was distressed that the king's listening was undiscerning, slander and slur obscured inside. The twisted and the crooked harmed the common good. The square and the straight were no longer given a place. Thus, he worried and grieved in dark thoughts and created encountering sorrow. The four lines in the middle of this quotation that I have tried to highlight in my recitation, all follow the same syntactical and rhythmic structure, and they are rhymed, they are poetry. They're a poetic fragment of unknown origin, possibly once again in Chuyuan's own voice. The fragment is evidence for the existence of quote unquote Chuyuan poetry outside of the known anthology, poetry that may have circulated in a variety of smaller units and was combined with other texts, as it is here with Chuyuan's prose biography. In such combinations, the figures of subject and object, of protagonist and autobiographical poet could easily switch sides. Just as the lines between biography and autobiography are blurred elsewhere. For example, in Bu Ju and Yu Fu. Thus, the letter text Yu Fu, that is Chu Yuan's dialogue with a fisherman, appears twice. First, as a narrative part of the biography, and second, in Chu Yuan's own voice within the anthology. In the biography, Chu Yuan has the final word of the dialogue, highly emotional and personal. I shall better throw myself into the ever-flowing stream and bury myself in the bowels of the river fish. How could I take my brilliant clarity and have it obscured by the confused blur of the world? After this follows a single narrative sentence. Quote, then he made the poetic exposition of Huaisha Unquote. And after the full text of Huaisha, only one more thing is left to say. Quote, Thereupon he embraced a stone and drowned himself in the Milor River.
This is the moment when the dual nature of Qu Yuan as both poetic hero and heroic poet, as the figure in the text and the author of the text, breaks down. If Qu Yuan, the hero, is an archaic figure of noble solitude who acts decisively in the last moments of his life, Qu Yuan, the poet, whose work survives his suicide, cannot have just made his highly sophisticated poem on the spot, nor could this creation have survived from such a moment. If Chu and the hero facing his fate was alone when drowning himself in the Milo River, with loneliness being a central motif of his legend, then Chu and the poet responding to fate was not alone when composing and reciting Huaisha. For Han readers, this contradiction did not matter. Poet and hero could easily switch places. I thus think of Chuyan's biography and poetry as a single repertoire of shared expressions, a body of textual material that was composed and performed in different forms on different occasions. This model of circumscribed poetic fluidity relieves us of authorial attributions whose fictionality is blindingly obvious. It accounts for the dense intertextual relations and modular exchanges between different compositions. It situates the Chuyan story in social practices of poetic exchange, performance, and variation. The Eastern Han commentator Wang Yi himself offers the lead. For the Jiu Zhang, which include Huaisha, he notes that after Chu Yuan's death, quote, the people of Chu grieved and mourned him. Generation after generation appraised his phrases and transmitted his verse from one to the next, unquote. Likewise with Tian Wen. Wang Yi says, the people of Chu mourned and grieved over Chu Yuan. They collectively appraised and transmitted the poem. And this is why it is said not to be in a meaningful order, unquote. For Yu Fu, Wang Yi states, the people of Chu longed and yearned for Chu Yuan, and for this reason arranged his phrases so as to transmit them onward, unquote. Thus, as we can see, for Wang Yi, it is implausible that the pieces of Jiu Zhang emerged from his suicide. Yu Fu talks about Chu Yuan in the third person, and Tian Wen is too disorderly to be Chu Yuan's own final composition. Moreover, for the Jiu Ge, Wang Yi sees Chu Yuan more as an editor than as an original author. Because the Southern religious songs which he encountered in exile were below vulgar and base, Chu Yuan remade them in order to give expression to his own feelings. Thus, Wang Yi says, quote, their textual sense is incoherent. Their stanzas and lines are mixed up. 
and they broadly diverge in their principal meaning, unquote. Authorship in this sense is communal, composite, and distributed across the roles of compilers, editors, collators, and commentators. This would not have been lost to figures like Liu An, Liu Xiang, and Wang Yi as they engaged in their own successive efforts of reorganizing the Chuzi anthology and of the Qian legend within it. But through their own poetic contributions to the anthology, they also still created an authorial model for themselves with Qian as their spiritual ancestor. As this author came into view, Western Han writers responded explicitly to him. Liu An with his Li Zhuan, Sima Qian with the Shiji biography, and in particular Liu Xiang with his Jiu Tan, where for the first time in the tradition, he mentions the title Jiu Zhang and attributes the Jiu Zhang to Qu Yuan. The Jiu Tan are written precisely in the style of the Jiu Zhang, down to structural devices, such as proems and epilogues, and they move freely between speaking about Yuan in the third person and impersonating him in the first. Indeed, it appears that Liu Xiang's voice in the Jiu Tan, more than any earlier one, defined the persona of Yuan specifically as that of the Jiu Zhang, that is, the voice of personal lament that is ancestral to Liu Xiang's own lament about his suffering. Liu Xiang's Qiyuan is a Qiyuan in Liu Xiang's own image. And Liu Xiang's own voice is developed by way of defining Qiyuans. Before Liu Xiang, the Qiyuan lore had been far more diverse, comprising not only the lamentations of the Jiu Zhang, but also the religious songs of the Jiu Ge, the mythology of Tianwen, and others more. Only one composite text finally unites these distinct elements in a single poem, but at a considerable cost. This poem is marked by an internal diversity of voice, perspective, and lexicon, and by numerous moments of rupture, repetition, and sudden discontinuity. This is the poem we know as the Li Sao. Its structure will be analyzed in the third and final episode of my podcast. Let us thank Professor Kern for such a stimulating talk. We look forward to his presentation of the last episode next Tuesday.